I'm excited for this one. Today's episode of the Ryan Russillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro. The real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs. Like a GM putting together the very own roster, you need a team that supports you. And State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more. With a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Okay, I'm really excited about today's podcast. Uh, here's the plan. We'll do Live with Advice at the very end. I'll do NFL Weekly Awards. We're going to do them after Trent Dilfer, who's going to join us, talk about Dak, talk about coaching, firing, all sorts of different stuff. I also have a bigger picture quarterback question that I want to ask about him that I think tends to lead towards non-development or lack of development with quarterbacks. I don't know. He'll tell us. Uh, it's a theory, so I'm not sure that I'm right, but he'll have at least a a good answer, a, a qualified answer for that. So we'll do that. But first, shout out to the Lakers. And that's what I want to talk about today, because I don't know that many of us know what we're supposed to do today when it comes to this kind of conversation of LeBron getting his fourth championship with his third different team. And I'm going to get to that because there's three parts to this. You know how we have kind of had fun on this podcast about the whole we were built different, like LeBron said when he was mic'd up. We built different, dog. We built different. This conversation is built different because time is different. Things are different now, right? Okay, and not every result needs to be a turning point on history's timeline. But history has a hard time holding up against LeBron because he's doing historic things, things that we've never seen before. So I want to get to it because it's three different parts, all right? Part one is the age factor. At 35 years old, LeBron is doing things we sort of seen before. We haven't, okay? I don't think we have. This is a guy in his prime entering the league in 2003 and making any of my hesitations about who the best player in the world is seem stupid now removed from it. And I don't really think that's playing the results. But, you know, it's kind of that LeBron Curry stuff that was happening where LeBron would coast a little bit more with Cleveland and Curry wouldn't miss a shot for an entire season. Curry ends up at the MVP and LeBron is furious being like, you guys actually think this dude is a little bit better than me or even like that much better, just 1% better. Like all you guys are nuts. And you know what? Look, I love Steph as, Steph as much as anybody, but you know, that, that ends up not being that great, but it's one of those deals where you go, well, what are you doing in the regular season versus what you're doing in the playoffs? And LeBron's the last man standing. And Giannis 
coast to coast of the regular season felt like the right guy. And then he wasn't. And then Kawhi with his playoff runs of the last four years. And you guys that are hating on Kawhi that try to point out when he's like a bit role player, that doesn't count. I didn't even do that to Paul George and I don't love Paul George, but Kawhi who stopped playing defense in the playoffs too. Uh, you know, he, he has that game seven on him and all those different things. And here's LeBron. So, you know, to sit here and say, hey, LeBron's the best player in the world. It doesn't seem like it, it's not any kind of reach whatsoever. But that's not really what the conversation is about. It's about him going up against MJ. And I think what you have to do, say he were to get a fifth, becomes the all-time leading scorer. It's still a ridiculous argument, but it's just like politics. You guys aren't really changing your mind. None of us are changing our mind. I mean, MJ stands are pointing to one fucking pass to Danny Green as the reason why LeBron isn't as good as their guy. And you're like, all right, so you're just going to ignore all the triple doubles in the finals. You're just going to ignore the fact the guy controlled every single game he was in in the playoffs. You're just going to ignore that he's doing this 17 seasons in. And then MJ fans say, well, whatever. Our guy did it at 34 and you guys act like that didn't happen. And you're like, yeah, but your guy got in the league a lot later. All right. Your guy's 8,000 minutes, I think, behind LeBron James. Your guy took, what, two, basically two full years off with 17 regular season games and that playoff run where they lost to Orlando in a full season before that. So, you know, it's just a it's a wear and tear thing where that's where I think this conversation, again, is built different. Because if you look at the guys that are ahead of LeBron in minutes, it's Kareem who played until he was 41. Kareem's last couple seasons scoring, probably higher than you think. Carl Malone, who once he had that knee injury, wasn't the same. 40, Dirk, 40, KG, 39. Uh, he didn't really even play a second to last season. Jason Kidd, I don't know if you remember this. He was on the Knicks. Uh, I think that was 39 years old. Elvin Hayes, 38. Moses Malone, 39 years old with the San Antonio Spurs. And for the most part, I mean, look, there, there was small contributions. I would say Kareem out of that group. Dirk was still hitting some shots. But I'm not telling you LeBron's going to be leading the league in scoring at 40 years old. But at 37, what are we going to see of LeBron? Like 16 a game, savvy passer, maybe even a better shooter. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think that that's impossible. I mean, we're seeing things that, again, are different now in modern day sports and stuff we've never seen before. So I don't really know how to frame it other than Brady slinging passes at 43 years old, which, let's face it, five years ago still kind of seemed impossible. I didn't think it was going to happen. And here he is. And he's got a couple Super Bowls uh, during that time where you're like, okay. And I'm talking about appearances, not just straight up rings. So, no, actually, no, he's got Atlanta and he's got the LA one, just that uh, loss to Philadelphia. So, you know, there's hockey guys that go forever. I mean, there's baseball players that'll, that'll hang around. I don't know what the hell Julio Franco was, was in his smoothie, but I mean, that dude was around forever. But here's LeBron not just giving you something, dominating the league again and changing the course of the, of the end of the league story because he's still that good. All right, part two, movement. When people say LeBron, the pro-LeBron side would say, Hey, and by the way, the MJ LeBron thing, none of you guys are changing your mind. So who are we kidding, right? All right. But with the movement part of this, when I see a, this never happened before, because again, that was like the big Kawhi thing. Like, where do you put Kawhi all time if he goes and wins three titles in three different cities? And it's like, wait a minute, the other guy just did it when we weren't really ever debating about LeBron. And so LeBron does this, but he does it because no one else really did it. I mean, people just didn't do this, but that is part of LeBron's legacy that he was a pioneer in the movement. So I don't look at that as this thing that no one else could accomplish. I look at it as this thing that no one else accomplished because nobody ever really tried. But this current 
group of players are all going to try because they all move. And I think they move this freedom of movement and saying, screw it, I'm out of here. And in some cases, we understand it. In some cases, it bothers us. Not everybody should sit there and think, I think all player movement and forcing way out, all of it's awesome. And I don't think anybody should think players should never have the freedom or never be able to get to the level where it's accepted frustration to decide where they want to move on. But if you look at the movement, Mello immediately after LeBron's free agent move to Miami, where people were so upset. And 10 years later, it seems so excessive because it is. It was excessive then, and it seems even bad historically for people to be this mad that a guy just decided to leave Cleveland, leave Cleveland to go to Miami in NBA free agency. Mello forced his way out. Durant doesn't go to Golden State unless LeBron goes probably from Cleveland to Miami and then back to Cleveland. I don't think he does. Anthony Davis doesn't leave New Orleans without LeBron or more so without clutch. Uh, Kyrie Irving actually left Cleveland because of LeBron. That was a, quite a different story. And despite my feelings towards Kyrie, that's the one where I'm like, you know what? I actually got Kyrie's point on that one. Um, Chris Paul moves on. Russell Westbrook was a little bit different. But if you go through the top, look at Kawhi Leonard. He's bounced twice. Paul George basically has been on this quest for I don't know what since he was telling Pacers fans, hey, I'm out of here years ago. So more than half, maybe 75% of the top 10 players in any, any given year are moving or rumored to be moving. And that's why Bucks fans are worried about Giannis. I mean, I don't know where Carl Anthony Towns is right now in the hierarchy, but you're nervous there. Uh, Devin Booker, same rumors constantly. Donovan Mitchell, Jazz fans worried. Everybody is now worried about their star because we've had movement in these past 10 years like never before, and LeBron was the one that started all of it. And finally, part three is the hate. I cannot express this enough. It doesn't mean that other people did not face hatred in different ways. Uh, people were far more anti-player than ever before. And if you really want to start going back to the integration of sports, I mean, it's a level of hate that's disgusting and different. I'm not saying some of this stuff doesn't still happen, but I just think the times are different when we're going back decades. So I don't want to minimize or diminish any of that kind of stuff or, or the, the challenge, the grossness of all of that and compare it to just some social media hate. But as I've pointed out many times, if you look at the top players in this league, more than half of them have had ad campaigns in the past decade about hatred and LeBron playing the villain and trying to, trying to put that black hat on when he was in Miami in a Nike ad that was just sort of uncomfortable. Russell Westbrook, people saying, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Harden, why don't I just play defense and no offense? That would be boring. Steph Curry has talked about hate. There is access to hate in a way that players have never, ever dealt with before. And you could see LeBron James when he did his speech about, hey, Lakers respect, coach respect, all this stuff. I want my damn respect. He was really just talking about him wanting his respect. And you're most of us, I think, are at home going like, wait, what? who is really crushing you except one guy in a TV show no one cares about and a bunch of Michael Jordan fans? Like, yes, there are moments when I don't love LeBron. I don't love when he basically just tears down his teammates and then this bullshit article about Rondo saying I helped him with his leadership. And you're like, look, LeBron's awesome, but he's not great when he misses a defensive assignment and then he looks and blames you. I mean, some of you guys that are really good players, maybe played in college, you were probably pricks in pickup games because, you know, you got fouled, but you didn't or you missed the layup and you call the foul. So, I mean, look, that's just LeBron. He's way better at everybody at the thing that he's doing. But those are little things that he has in his game and none of that matters. Like, None of it, I would, no one would ever bring it to the table in a big-time historic debate about where he comes down on this. But he has always been worried about it. He used to follow um, the guy on a TV show that I don't want to talk about anymore, all right? He used to follow him. And I'm like, why would he follow this guy that has made a career out of ripping him the entire time? Like, that's weird. And I brought it up on the show, and then he unfollowed him. So I thought that whole thing was weird. Uh, he, he has very veiled, like, he wouldn't mention Michael Jordan. I don't know if any, maybe I missed it. 
I watched a bunch of the postgame stuff. I don't think he mentioned Michael Jordan because here he is chasing Jordan, but then does he not want to give Jordan recognition? Um, because then again, Jordan didn't want LeBron in the last dance production from what I heard. Like LeBron wasn't a part of any of that. So I don't know who's right on that one. I don't know where the disconnect was with all these different things. But LeBron will, you know, athletes are are classic at telling you how bad they have it and how they had to persevere when everybody's picking them. And yes, there were criticisms of the Lakers, but it wasn't like anybody was picking this team to miss the playoffs. All right. The only time that anybody had said it, like, yeah, hey, you know what? Maybe I like the Clippers and I like their depth a little bit better. I mean, that's that's really all this was. And I also know what some of you are saying, and I've had moments like, why would LeBron care about anything? Like, you're LeBron James. Why would you care about any of this stuff? That's the easiest thing in the world. You've probably told people, hey, don't worry about it, when you would worry about the exact same thing. So he's a normal guy in that sense, just like the rest of us, that it builds up. He probably only sees a negative. Most of us will, especially in the public eye, only see the negative, ignore all the compliments, unless you're a compliment retweeter, which is lame as hell. But I got a text and I'll end it here from somebody in the LeBron camp that was like, Hey, I hope you're not going to go on your podcast there and, and, and diminish this bubble championship. I was like, Hey man, who the hell are you talking to? Like we've talked, you know what I've said. I, I said, look, I don't want to diminish this thing. The only people that diminish it, they already have an agenda and want to argue against whatever the outcome was. Right. Lakers fans would have called this a bullshit championship if the Clippers won it. You know it deep down, be honest. Uh, but I was never going to do that. And I was pushing back. I, that might have been some association with Bill Simmons stuff where Bill, look, if if Bill, or let's do it in reverse. If you're a huge Lakers fan and ran a huge media company and you had to talk about how awesome the Celtics were, would you be awesome? Would you be super enthused? And some of you guys can say, hey, Bill's a journalist. Bill's an opinionist, okay? <laughs> when, most of the time, whenever anybody uses, hey, well, the journalism, uh, sweet journalism, it's usually some of the worst counter arguments ever whenever anybody references journalism. <laughs> so I think I'm guilty by association, and that could have been some of the pre- Pre like, hey, where's your head at? I think this championship's amazing. I don't think it's the hardest of all time, and that's okay. Okay, we're going to have Trent Dilfer joining us here in just a moment, but not that long ago, going out with friends was a little too complicated. You used to worry about where you'd go, what you'd look like. Some of us don't worry about that. What kind of crew you'd put together, right? Who's on your invite list? But now getting together for a beer with your closest friends isn't so complicated. These days, it actually feels more like it should. You can just be yourself with your friends. Maybe that's the way it always should be. Oh, there you go. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always believed in this. That's what Miller Time is all about. Whether you're toasting in person or you're cheersing from afar, Miller Lite has always been about bringing you and your friends together from Miller Time. Today, it's obviously recommended that you keep your social circle small unless you're going through a divorce. What's up with Kristen Cavallari? Just all over Chicago. A couple of Miller Lights. I don't know what to make of this right now. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. How are you connecting with friends? Well, I'd say I am uh, connecting. I, I may I may actually leave my little bubble here, but I'm not sure yet. We're not sure yet. We're trying to put it all together. Probably won't go anywhere. Um, Post-NBA. So anyway, grab some Miller Lights, man, and say hi to people. There you go. Miller Lite, great taste with only 96 calories, 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time, you can have the original light beer delivered by going to MillerLite.com forward slash RR. That's me and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. I like this. We got Trent Dilfer again for, I guess we'll call it our quarterback quarterly. Uh, so let's go around the league, a bunch of different stuff, and, and feel free to kind of take it anywhere you want to, Trent. But let's start with Dak. Awful injury. I haven't touched on this yet at all. 
I do think that there's a part of this where you look at the injury and you know how much it sucks, but the reality is is that with the way the contract works and the franchising, that it could actually turn out a little bit better for him. I'm not saying that's necessarily what anybody wants, but what's the thing that jumped out to you the most on that kind of injury and, and everything that was going on around the uh, stadium? The reaction, um, not just from his teammates, but the Giants, I think league-wide. Um, this is a guy that's really, really admired, really respected. I think people genuinely, genuinely hurt for him. Um, everybody kind of follows the contract situation. Everybody kind of knows he rolled the dice on himself. Um, and then to see him go down with a season-ending injury, let's not call it a career-threatening injury, but a season-ending injury, um, I think shook a lot of people. And I think it speaks volumes to the type of player, uh, person that Dak is. Um, it also struck me that when he kind of – Danny Dalton came in and started playing. It didn't look that different. Um, Dak's a really good player, and I don't want to make this an Andy versus Dak conversation. I do think Andy's a really good player, too, and I think this offense can still function at a high enough le- uh, level to win the NFC least. And the, the conference, the division's so bad, um, and you don't see really hope for any of the teams that if uh, an Andy Dalton can come in and it stabilizes their run game a little bit, force them to give the ball to Zeke a little bit more, Therefore, maybe you steal a possession or two from the other offense, which protects your defense. He plays efficiently. He still has big play in him. Uh, I, I think this could be a situation where the Cowboys really don't go down that much offensively. Yeah, the Dalton part of it, because I was reading a lot of stuff this morning, and you know, it doesn't matter who has the job in a front office, but I, I was reading different. It was like, hey, you know, Andy's not so bad. Look at his 2015, and you go, okay, but look, I mean, eventually – I think people knew to move off of Andy when they had that really good run. Um, the defense, I think, gave up the second least points in the NFL, which is always the part, like it's the good part where the quarterback's like, oh, I mean, nobody's even paying attention this years later what we did because the defense was actually pretty good. Wentworth was still in a tackle. And could you come up with some scenario where Dalton replaces him because the market isn't the same for a free agent Dak? But I just... Look, I, I think whatever limitations someone – and we've talked about Dak and like maybe not living in that number one neighborhood. I can't imagine with all of this kind of personnel and what they were doing that there's some version of this in this awful division where they trick themselves into thinking, hey, we made the playoffs with Andy Dalton, so now that drives Dak's price down. I mean, look, nothing's impossible, but that still seems very far-fetched, especially watching Dalton enough to go, I think his limitations are far below Dak's. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to make this a Dak's not going to get his contract because Andy's going to come in and win the division conversation. No, I don't think that's what you said. I just was adding to it. You know? Yeah, and I think, no, I, I've heard the same stuff this morning. Um, I think that's kind of what me and you don't like is the clickbait stuff and make these dramatic, you know, signature statements about what's going to happen long term here. I just think Andy Dalton's a good player. I think he's a really, really good football player, and I think he fits what they do in Dallas. And because the division is so bad, uh, I can see a scenario where they win the division with them and maybe win a playoff game with them. And I think that would be speak volumes to their personnel people of getting Andy Dalton as your backup. You know, you need a good backup quarterback for these situations. You can't have your starting quarterback, who's a franchise guy, get hurt and then go, oh, season's over. Yeah. Right. You still, you're still going to compete. You're still trying to win. So the next guy up uh, has to have qualities that allow you to function at a high level. And I think maybe that's what we're talking about. Andy Dalton. He has a skill set that fits very similar, very similar to what Dak does. Uh, he's a guy that can still extend plays athletically. People forget what a great athlete he was at TCU. 
Now he's obviously older now, not quite the athlete, but still a good athlete. Uh, he has plenty of arm talent. He can get the ball wherever you want to on the field. He's played a ton of football. He's seen a lot of defenses. Uh, he's operated in a lot of chaos. Like he can do all the stuff you need him to do for this offense to function at a high level. And I do think it forces Kellen Moore, who I, I frankly think is too pass happy. And he's a friend of mine. I think he's too pass happy. I think it forces you now, uh, especially with uh, the tackle out, uh, to kind of bore, make the offense a little more boring. Give it to Zeke a little more. Play some more big packages. Uh, balance out the offense a little bit. That's only going to protect your defense. Uh, I think all these things can, can be happening in Dallas as we grieve over one of the better players in the league being out for the season. Do you think Kellen is pass happy? Because I remember that last year at Boise where, I mean, his touchdown totals were 25, 39, 35, and 43, where they were trying to get him the Heisman. And on first and goal at the one, they passed it four times because they were trying to – do you think that that – like he came up the wrong way going, what the hell's wrong? We're trying to chuck it in from one yard out the entire time. Well, I think all those quarterbacks and our coaches struggle with the same thing. We see the game through a primarily passing game sense. So we have an advanced degree in the passing game. We've done it. We've lived it. We know how it feels. We know what it looks like down there. We know what the quarterback's thinking. I battle with it every single Friday night not to throw it too much. I purposely go overboard to run it more because I know my instincts are to throw it more. Uh, when you talk to quarterbacks around um, college football who are coaches now, the famous little text thread is, when in doubt, throw it. Like that's kind of the quarterback's mantra that's a coach, just throw it more, run it less. And I think it's a bad formula. Um, I think it's harder to understand the run game. I think it's harder to understand the life of an offensive lineman. I think it's harder to understand a running back that needs multiple carries to get into a rhythm. And his eyes need to get adjusted too. His pad level needs to get adjusted too. His fits need to get adjusted too. He needs volume. Uh, so I think this is a big quarterback coach conversation uh, that I'm living um, and learning every day from. And, and it's a real deal. Like it is too easy. And that's why you see a lot of these quarterbacks going into the air raid, to be honest with you. A lot of them are kind of going and drinking the air raid sauce because like, oh, it's, it's okay to throw it every down. Oh, I like this offense because now it's excusable to, to throw it every down. Um, football is always best when it's balanced. Football is always best when it's physical. When you throw it too much, you lose balance and you lose physicality. That's just the reality of it. And I think every quarterback that coaches deals with this dilemma. Okay, this is actually a good transition because I'm going to get to the rest of the NFL stuff, but this is a bigger picture thing. And this is just the hours I've spent watching the game as somebody that didn't play the position. But you bringing up the air raid is perfect because a couple weeks ago, Mississippi State, KJ Costello transfer, throws 620 yards against LSU. And granted, he beat him with crossers all day and LSU never wanted to change anything. And LSU's defense, believe it or not, if they just lost to Missouri, probably has six pros at least. If it's an over-under of six NFL players on that defense, I'll take the over, which makes it even worse. Two weeks later, they scored two points against Kentucky, okay? And I felt like an idiot noticing this in KJ's game where he had 600, where there was a throw on, they were way backed up, and it was out to the flat, and he didn't even look at anything other than, you know, get up, sideline, go, catch the, the snap, throw. Didn't look at anything batted down by a defensive end. Didn't even look at him. Could have been a pick. And then I'm like, were you really going to send out a tweet criticizing a guy throwing for six? This is stupid. Don't send it. And I didn't. And I was glad I didn't. But it's something I'm noticing more and more in that 
it's great that the coaches have made the game easier. It's great that the coaches have put up offensive numbers, but I noticed it with Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma where they won that shootout with Texas. He did never looked at the other side of the field. He had guys all over the place. So I'm wondering is, is the development of offenses actually hurting the development of quarterbacks? I mean, it's a big conversation. It's big. Uh, it's big. I'm sure so. it's one that will be uh, at the AFCA conference this uh, spring will be talked about. Um, I have a view that is rooted strongly in my West Coast roots. Um, got, you know, introduced to it by Billick in Baltimore, even though it was a hybrid, but really got my master's with Holmgren. Uh, and then spending all my years with Steve Young working at ESPN, just talking football with him and the roots of Bill Walsh. Got to spend some time with Bill before he passed. Um, you know, I've studied the West Coast. I've studied other offenses. Um, you have your either or offenses, and then you have your boundary to boundary offenses. Um, what you're seeing is a lot of either or. Um, you either throw it there or there. Uh, another term is pick and stick. Uh, we're going to isolate a guy and we're going to pick him out and we're going to stick the ball on him. Um, it's not bad until it's bad. And that's my argument is that it's really cool on first and second down when, when teams haven't really schemed for you, they're going to let you march the ball a little bit. Maybe you have a matchup advantage somewhere, but it gets bad in big moments and critical downs. It gets bad when teams figure you out. It gets bad when you don't have that matchup advantage that you had maybe against LSU. Um, it also gets bad when your protections start getting broken down. Uh, and I think that's the other thing is you can play these pass first offenses if you have great pass rushers um, by flooding zones, by getting tendencies. So the more you put on tape, the more tendencies you have. Uh, you can start flooding zones and those tendencies and rushing with three, four, sometimes five guys and forcing the quarterback's clock to speed up a little bit. But I think the bigger issue is this. And I know we're talking about quarterback development. Part of quarterback development is also working the pocket. It's manipulating space and finding little pockets to jump into to avoid pass rushers to extend plays so that you can scan the field and work boundary to boundary. A lot of these offenses, it because they're either or pick and stick, the quarterback's getting very bad habits of kind of aiming in one spot. And when that aim is taken away, they don't know how to re-aim, for lack of a better term. Like they can't reset and get in a position to make an accurate throw somewhere else. Um, I'm pretty adamant that you need full field progressions, that you need multiple protections, that your quarterback has to have a large catalog of throws, that he needs to be good pre-snap and post-snap. Uh, they've got to manipulate the pocket. They've got to move left and right. Um, I think when you fully develop a quarterback, uh, you take all that into account. It's not just about production uh, on game day. And, and here's one more thing I'll segue to. A lot of this is happening because stats equal jobs for coaches. So they know that if they can jimmy rig offenses, put up big numbers, if you're a quarterback coach coordinator, that that is going to equal another job because there's a dumb AD out there that's only looking at numbers. And they think that by hiring this guy, you're going to take those numbers and put them at their school. And it's just, it's, it's backfired a lot of times. 
I, I'm look, I, I expect to see it on Saturday and here, you know, I, I watched the QB stuff with, with Rattler. I know he turns everybody off. This is two weeks in a row. I'm talking about this kid. Um, I can understand why he was the number one quarterback though. When you really dig in, but I can see with him, I go, okay, Reed wasn't there. He was, he was toast. He was, he, he didn't have it. And he still pulled it off against Texas. But when I start to see it on Sundays, I'm like, oh my God. Like this was so. Who's the best example of a pick and stick guy that's actually like a real starter? Because when I look at Baker, I thought that's kind of what Baker was. But then I think Baker's somebody that actually needs to use his athleticism and be challenged on throws instead of sitting back there and reading boundary to boundary. And then I thought his first half was incredible against the Colts. And then I think, look, whether it was when he got hit and he threw the pick or his hand was messed up, he wasn't as good. They get the win. It's not that big of a deal. But like, give me your best example of a pick and stick guy that's playing every Sunday. Off. I'm not Go saying Goff's one of the top, you know, 10 guys. I think he's a really good player. But Goff's really been the guy that grew up in this kind of air raid spread, didn't know much about protections, didn't play under center, you know, in this kind of pick-and-stick offense, struggled his first year. And, then, you know, the Sean McVay coaching staff really saved him. Uh, and they really gave him uh, the roots of the West Coast training. And now you see him, I think he's under center 69% of the time. I think it's the most in the NFL. Uh, Joey threw a note on my desk this morning. Um, shout out to Joey. Yep. Shout out to Joey. He, uh, you know, he's really evolved the way a quarterback needs to evolve as he's developed. Um, he has limitations like other guys, but you see a guy now that he will come off an action fake. His eyes will be left on the reverse smash combination. It won't be there. They'll jump back inside to the deep over. It's not there. Boom. Check down. Uh, you'll see him work in kind of a two layer <clears throat> dig concept. They flood that zone. He flips his hips. He throws the backside comeback. Um, you know, things like that, that you get a lot of these quarterbacks that when they are in shotgun all the time, when they are reading this, you know, whatever we're calling it, either or offense, that when the either or the or is taken away, they have no answers. And that's when you see the frenetic drop the ball down. I call it the, oh, you know what, move where your belly button faces line of scrimmage. You don't know what's going on. And you're trying to figure it out as you're scrambling to line of scrimmage. There's no discipline in the pocket, um, you know, he's the guy that I've seen change the most since his time in the NFL. Okay, then who's the best boundary guy right now? Sideline to sideline? Yeah. Brady. I mean, that's what Brady does. I mean, he, he does it better than anybody. Breeze is still good at it. Uh, I'm not on this. Drew Brees can't play football anymore because his arm isn't strong enough. However, his arm um, limits some of the boundary to boundary throws he can make or he has to make them really early. Um, Aaron Rodgers, phenomenal. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. So all the guys that, we'd expect, right? I mean, basically. yeah, it's all the guys you expect. Well, that's why they're Hall of Famers, right? Right. Like, whenever I get in this argument, okay, so I get in this argument all over the country with these past first guys, and I'm like, listen, I study you guys. You guys do a ton of great stuff. I've stolen a bunch of your stuff. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's bad for a quarterback to have a Hall of Fame career because at at some point you have to teach him everything, and maybe that's not the college coach's job. And I'm fine if that's not the college coach's job. Um, but I do think fourth and 10 on a Sunday night football game, when you see Russell Wilson drop back and there's a free rusher to his right and his eyes started all the way left and he came back and threw a dig to the right center of the field for the game winning Tud, that tells me he's been trained the right way. Um, the hall of fame guys separate themselves with how they go boundary to boundary with their eyes, their bodies and their body and their throat. Okay. 
on the other end of this, then, well, you know, I, before we do this, because I want to stay with Mahomes, because you didn't bring him up yet. Um, is Mahomes not at that level, boundary to boundary? No, no, he, he okay. is. Okay, all right. He's all right. just a freak. I mean, right. he's a freak. All the stuff they're doing, I mean, he just extends plays. It's almost like Ben Roethlisberger did about eight, ten years ago. I remember doing this on ESPN, where I talked about like the pocket extended, and I, I took a bunch of clips. I studied a bunch of clips. I'm like, you know, he he plays from the pocket, but then he'll like move around and break a tackle and kind of go over here and now there's a new pocket and he'll stand there and rip it 30 yards down the field. And the next play, he'll kind of go over here and maneuver and shut off a guy and stop, stop here. And it's a new pocket. And he plays for, that's what Patrick's doing. It's like, okay, it's not there. Okay. I'm going to spin around and go over here and set up and okay. My arm can really throw it anywhere. So I'll just check out this spot for a little bit. Oh, that spot's not cool. Okay. I'll scramble over here and check out this spot. And throw it from there. I, I mean, that's a that's a foreign game to me. I've only seen a few players do it, but Patrick's doing it. This is weird off a loss, but this is why we like each other and that I can still like things from Holmes, even though the oh, yeah. Raiders scored a million points. He's doing this this thing that I, I look, he's been doing it a while, but after the snap, he's basically moving around however he wants as if there's no rush. And yet he's aware of it all. So it's it looks like a guy. If you watch like the first half of the after the snap, you'd be like, "Does this guy have zero awareness whatsoever?" And then it's like the clock goes off, and he still actually is see. He plays as if he sees nothing, and then he sees everything in time where he's like, "Okay, now I have to move around in a way where I go, okay, the clock is off. Now it's up to you.'" And then he's running up to the the line of scrimmage. He always knows where it is, and then launches from all these different parts. However. For Belichick, which none of us should ever be surprised, for them to do what they did against them, and then to see, look, it was more of the Raiders and Derek Carr taking some shots that that I think we've all said in the past. Like you wonder, like you and I have talked about this too. Like I started to think no interceptions was the greatest thing ever, and then I started thinking like if you never have any, it actually might not be that great of a thing because it means those are the kinds of throws you're avoiding all the time. So what have you seen with the Chiefs, whether it was New England or you know, what the Raiders did in the second half was was incredible. I mean, going into the fourth quarter, uh, Mahomes was 2 of 4 with 22 yards. Again, granted, because the Raiders' offense was keeping the football on their side of the field. But just give me kind of a breakdown of what you've seen the last couple of weeks there. Yeah, a couple of different stories here. I think, number one, what New England kind of did to Kansas City. And anytime you make these comments, it's not every play, right? It's not this wasn't 65 plays they did this. But on no one plays, you kind of know when he's going to throw it. Uh, you know the the horsepower that they have and that he has especially. Number one is don't let them change that launch point. Like make them play on rhythm. Avoid the bigger uh, play by making him get the ball out of his hand. So kind of people will say contain them, set the edge, whatever, but make them play kind of in that box, right? Because now you kind of know the ball is going to come out at a certain time. We may not stop everyone, but we kind of we can control the tempo for which the ball is going to come out. So I think that's that's something you're going to see more people do uh, against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs because a lot where they get a lot of their explosives are going back to what we just talked about when he kind of extends the play. I I call it creating space and time. You know, it kind of creates his own space and his own time to throw it, and then those fast guys can wiggle around and uh, change the routes and and break coverage. <clears throat> I think that's one thing that you're going to see more teams do. It's not always going to be successful, but it's going to it's going to be a model. Uh, that New England introduced to the rest of the league to try to contain them. Uh, and then I think you're going to have to be explosive offensively, and that's what the Raiders did. Uh, the one thing the Chiefs defense has done, and I think all of us, myself on the top of the list, 
undervalued how good that defense was at the end of the year. And obviously they're, they're statistically very good this year. Um, but they are, they're so aggressive. They're susceptible to some big plays. And you saw the Raiders have four over 40 yesterday. I think they had one over 40 going into the game. So you're going to have to be hyper aggressive offensively, pushing the ball down the field to kind of keep them from playing downhill on you. I think this is the, this is the value of the deep ball in the NFLs. Once you can establish it, once you're willing to like the touchdown to rugs, they ran like a little West coast bunch play that's designed to get like six to eight yards. But if the defense is too aggressive, there's that spray post there that is kind of, they call it a red alert. Like if they make this mistake, that's a red alert throw, chuck it. And that's why you saw um, Derek throw it so early and soft because he was almost surprised that they gave him that throw. Um, You're going to have to start doing more of those. You're going to have to force them to kind of play back a little bit more because the Chiefs want to play down. They want to be aggressive. They want to have combo coverages. They want to insert extra guys into the run game. So you're going to have to make sure that those secondary players, those linebackers are going, well, wait a second. Before I do that, I better breathe and make sure nobody's taking the top off. Okay, now I can attack. And I think you're going to see a lot of offenses. I know I would do it. Uh, find six to eight times a game where even if you're not throwing it, there's a lot of vertical presence in your passing game to make sure that secondary, those linebackers are going backwards before they go forward. Yeah, it's really easy to go, hey, you're going to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hand. It's be like, if you were prepping that week, you'd be like, well, what if we stink? What if we stink on off it? Like, it's just, well, yeah, you what can't. if you go three state, three and outs, and you're giving them the ball with good field position? I mean, that, right. that's, the, that's the scary part of calling plays and being over aggressive is, you know, you say, okay, we're going to win this game on offense. Well, then you stub your toe a few times. And actually, you look, you look at the scoreboard and you're down 17 nothing. I'm throwing this in there in case you, unless you have something real insightful on this, but I could finish the car has been the kind of, Oh, wow. Uh, you know, whatever when the Raiders, it finally felt like they were back a little bit, but personnel wise, this is a much improved group. When you look at the weapons, I mean, Jacobs is an incredible running back. Um, and Waller's great at tight end. Renfro actually makes a ton of catches. Aguilar looks to be off to a better start here after Philadelphia and Ruggs is averaging 30 yards a catch. Um, even though granted he's only had six, but as a rookie coming in and you can see the explosiveness of those of us who have watched him at Bama, I'm like, you know what? He, he might be the guy out of that group. So maybe it's just cause cars numbers are off the charts, but I always felt like he was somebody that didn't have enough risk in his game. And that's why the Gruden types would be like, yeah. You know, I know what the numbers are, but they're just limitations with what we expect him to do. But so far, so good. And uh, it's it's probably has as much to do with the people around him as it does with Carr himself. Well, I think, one, John and Mike Mayock know what they're doing. I think they've proved that. You know, I mean, they've, they've built a team that looks like what they want to look like, or they're starting to, I should say, especially offensively. I think one thing you didn't mention, there was the offensive line and the runner. I'm the biggest Josh Jacobs fan there is. I think the kid is special. Um, and I think he fits what John wants to do offensively very well. Uh, I think that offensive line is very good, um, and they're playing better. I, I like what John does systematically, where it's a lot of different formations, a lot of different sets. Uh, you know, when he was on TV, he was obviously studying the game intently, and he was studying his buddies, your Sean Payton's, uh, your, um, you know, all those guys, all those pals he grew up in the West Coast with, and they were kind of all innovating and doing new stuff. And I think he kind of just cherry picked the stuff he liked the best as he watched hours and hours of film, uh, knowing when he went back in the league, this is how he was going to going to do it. And then he finds a quarterback that had really not been asked to do all the stuff he wants him to do. 
And, and Derek has a lot of ability. Derek can do a lot of different stuff. It's probably more of a mindset thing for Derek than anything else. Uh, and John has obviously unleashed something in Derek to make him see the la- see the game through more of an assassin's lens, where you're more hyper aggressive. You're looking for the big play, and then usually using discretion then to get the gimme play. So uh, I like the whole mix there. I think Vegas has something pretty cool going on. I'm not saying the world beaters. I think they still have some issues defensively, um, but they're they're definitely building this thing the right way. And I think having a lot of success offensively this year will lighten the whole Derek Carr conversation over the offseason. It'll allow them to pour their resources into defense, um, balance things out a little bit. And I could see the Las Vegas Raiders making a run at this thing, and then not this year, but maybe next year or the year after. Is Rivers done? I don't want to say yes. Okay, so I, you're, you're, I'm going to be biased here. I've always been a big Rivers fan. I know. To I know me, what you don't want to say, but I think you already said it. To, to me – He's being asked to play very efficiently. Um, Yes, he's done as an explosive big play guy. I I would say that. Um, But I think with this defense, uh, if he can buy into a little bit more of the efficient quarterback model, um, be a little more conservative maybe uh, in his decision-making, I still think he's a guy that can win a lot of games for the Colts. All right, Um, I had a thing. I'm just interrupting you here. But like when – I'm trying to think of which challenge it was. It was stupid. It was uh, Gruden made a dumb challenge in that game where Hill was clearly in bounds. I think it was the sideline pass. Was it Hill? It doesn't matter. You could see that he was in bounds. And it was Mike Tice used to have these frustration challenges. I was convinced that Mike Tice would just challenge because he was mad. And I think that's how Rivers is playing quarterback the last couple of years, where he's like, well, you know, gosh darn it, if you're going to keep hitting me, I'm going to get rid of it. And then, you know, I really don't think on that on that last pick, he even saw the right side of the field. I think he was just mad he kept getting chased. Yeah. I don't – as you get old as a quarterback, you're uh, – I can speak – I can speak to this. There is a little get-off-my-lawn temperament to you. You know what I mean? There's a little old grumpy man, like, why the heck is this happening? Um, and you you make some decisions out of frustration that you look back on film going, wait a second, I've played 14, 15, 16, 17 years, and I'm going to make that rookie mistake. You know, where'd that come from? And it usually is a frustration thing. Uh, I actually think that there might be some truth to that. Like, you see it in his game sometimes, like, he's just flabbergasted. And you're like, where'd that come from? And you know he knows it's a bad decision, but why in the heck is he making it? Um, I, I just, I've always been a guy on Philip Rivers that, uh, you give him the right system around him. You play good defense around him, and he's going to make the plays for you to win games. I've just always been a believer. I could be wrong, um, but I talked to Frank a lot before they made that decision. And and uh, well, what did they see? Because you know, I can I talked about it a little bit before um, in that I can see the argument of let's get Philip out of this the the Charger situation where he's been the guy in the room for a decade and a half. And maybe he's a little bit more accountable. Like, did they go, this is this is something, oh, wow, we see stuff on film where this is going to be amazing? Or are they going, hey, this is the best chance for for an upgrade in a, in a position where you just don't have these guys available? Yeah, I think you want to maximize whatever you have on your roster. And they felt like with his brain, his experience, selling a force fire in the tank, he can maximize what they have on the roster. They can be a very good defense. They can run the ball very well. Um, they have a couple playmakers that can make plays, but a lot of that's the quarterback getting them the ball at the right time in the right situations they're going to do a lot at the line of scrimmage here's the topic that is always a big deal in the coaching circles but we really can't dive deep into it uh in the media circles is so much of what you value in a quarterback 
is what they can do for you at the line of scrimmage. So you might have a super talented kid that you know can rip fire over the field and can make people miss, but he can't understand where a three technique is when you're trying to check the run game there. Or he can't double count, get rotation to go a certain way and find a soft spot in the defense for the run game or the pass game. He can't change, change a protection with seven seconds left in the play call and get you out of a bad play. These are the things that people really value about veteran quarterbacks, Phil Rivers being one of them, is that he can do a lot for you at the line of scrimmage. He becomes a coach on the football field for you. Now, at some point where your skills don't match up to your brain, you got to make a decision, move on from that guy. And that may be a realistic conversation around Philip Rivers because that also happens to guys is at some point their brains work at a pace that their bodies no longer can follow. I lived that one. Um, I remember my last year in San Francisco, I saw the game. I never got surprised, but I did some dumb things because my body just couldn't catch up with what my brain was seeing. Okay. Two more things for you. This is going to be a dumb question for a smart person where we see the coaches with their huge play cards all the time. How, how similar is that on the sideline, depending on the coach? Like what are right, you grabbing? You're grabbing your card right now. Let's see how big a high school one is. Oh, that's pretty good size. It's not ridiculous. Okay. Go with your gut is the top of it. And then you're, you've got it. What in downs down scenario? Is it all down in distance in categories? So the front, um, the front, I go, I do my first 15. I color coordinated by personnel groupings. I have my third down must pass situations where I'm not going to run it. I have my red zone situations. I have our tempo. Here's our pressure plays, our shots. You know, I always have a very robust shot category. Our specials. What do you have? Eight and, shots, eight or nine there. I think we had one, two, three, four. We had 11 shots up the other night. Um, and then I'm big on, and I've learned this through some of the best is plays to get your best players, the ball. So I think that gets lost sometimes in the scheme. And then this is just all my catalog. So here's the whole menu of plays. And then here's notes to myself. Um, but I, I think one of the really important things in calling plays is who's the primary guy that's going to get the ball. Like a lot of plays you, you can deduct it's either going to be him or him or him. And this is going to be the order, right? So I want to make sure it's my best player and my second best player, and my third best player doing the things they do well. I think that's another thing you have to identify is not every good player does everything well. Uh, so you might have a uh, slot receiver is a great example. You know, some slot receivers are really good in short area. Some guys are really good in conflict. Some guys are really good reading zones, beating man right away, run after catch. They're not great vertical guys. So you got to make sure that if they are taking the top off, he's not necessarily in the progression. He's just taking the top off. So another good player can be the primary. Uh, in the run game, you know, a, a lot of stuff that people don't take into account is, okay, we're running the ball. Yeah, we're giving it to number 20, who's our best player. He's our tailback. And he's running over number 79, who's and 55, our two best offensive linemen. But who's the perimeter receiver blocking to that side? So a lot of your formations, a lot of your structure needs to format at all. And the more layers you go into it, the more detail you have, the more chance you have for success. So I don't want my prima donna wide receiver blocking the safety on that play if he bounces outside and gets on the perimeter. I want my dog there. It's going to get up in that safety's grill, punch, reset his feet, punch, reset his feet, punch, reset his feet. So 
Um, again, I don't know why we got on this, but one of the reasons why these play cards <laughs> are so robust yeah. is because you have to take a lot of detail into account. So it's not just calling two by two um, inside fades, right? A, a play that a lot of people use these days. I want the best two by two that tells the defense, well, in this two by two, they like to do this. So we're going to play man coverage so that we can get man coverage when we right. run the inside fades. And I want my best inside fade runner being number two to the weak side. And I want my best dart runner being number one to that side in case they do play zone. So I think that's why you get, I mean, I spend hours and hours on this thing to make sure that the players are put in the best uh, situation to succeed. And I think that's what you're seeing around the league. So you'll basically call a play, not necessarily for the outcome of that play, but you'll want to get an early look and be like, are they zoning this? Are they manning this if we're lining up so that we know later on what their tendency is going to be on this coverage? I mean, I know this sounds super simple to you and guys listening that played, but for the rest of us, you know, I just think that there's certain things where we'll look and go, how come they don't run any pre-stap motion? I know that's the big thing with the Jets. We're like, why is there no motion? I mean, motion is... 101 as a quarterback in high school where you're like, let me let me figure this out off of motion and, and where they're moving and where they're aligning. I mean, that's this is not complicated stuff. But I, I guess the the progression of the play card, like this is the stuff that I really think is fascinating because I wonder what the, the disparity is between the guys that are on NFL sidelines holding that play card. The guys that just have it and then yell, hey, let's run trips, you know, and just sort of looks around or never takes into account what the quarterback's what they like. We love when they get that mic'd up sound and we'll just hear the quarterback. Be like, hey, what do you like? Like, what do you like? What do you like here? Oh, I like, you know, I like this. I like that. You know, I'm not even going to embarrass myself and try to use the terminology, but I, I wonder if you're holding that card, if you're truly in control of what's happening with the guy upstairs in your quarterback. And if there are some guys that are just kind of holding the card, I think there's both. Um, I think you have to have a balance when you get a really, really good quarterback that wants like and this is the Aaron Rodgers Lafer conversation last year that Aaron had gotten to the point uh with McCarthy and that staff where he just wanted to be in static formations double count see what they're in and then hand signal and call the protection to get what he wanted to get into that's I mean Peyton Manning did a lot of that okay so that's a, it's a wonderful way to play when you get a veteran quarterback that has all the answers then just get into static formations, two by two, three by one, whatever it is, and manipulate the snap count, make the defense show you their mail so you can read it, and then write them a new letter. Right? That's kind of the narrative that goes on. So yeah. it's a good way of doing it. LaFleur was saying, yeah, that's a good way of doing it. But it's even better when you, we can do all this other stuff, shift, motions, actions, misdirection, because now you get a mental break off. We get to create better run looks, and we'll get more big plays. And then blending of the two this year is really the secret sauce. So I like the other way. If my quarterback is a junior, who's, by the way, going to be a superstar, be highly recruited, all that stuff. Who's, what's his name? His name's Luther Richardson. Okay. He's going to be unbelievable. Okay. But he's a junior. He's only played quarterback. I think he's had 21 starts now. Uh, Joey's telling me 20 starts now. So it's... He's only had 20 starts in high school football. I'm not willing yet to say, hey, Luther, here's, uh, here's the program keys. We're going to line up in two formations, and you just check protections and runs and you know figure out what you like best and find your matchup and chuck it around the yard. Right? I just don't think that would be fair to him. It wouldn't be fair to the other 104 players we have in the program. So there's a balance of letting him do some of that and getting his feet wet and diving into that world and understanding the why. And then there's the micromanaging part where it's like, hey, I'm going to shift motion 
isolate and get you a really quick one-two read where you can be really successful. And that's why you're at 66% for the year, because we can kind of have both going on at the same time. And we're going to run the heck out of the rock. We're going to run it 60% of the plays. Um, again, your conversation was around why these things are so robust. That's why, because there's a lot going in to calling a play more than just, oh, they're playing cover three. We're going to throw it over there. I knew it was more complicated. I just uh, hope everybody enjoys that. Maybe you'll understand it a little bit more now because I usually do. All right, that's Trent Dilfer. We'll do it again in a month, man. Thank you. All right, thanks, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class, that just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ryan. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. 
Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Week five NFL awards. We start with the fire everyone Paul Feinbaum award. Paul Feinbaum has wanted almost anyone that's ever run into any controversy whatsoever in college football fired. Um, Mark Emmer, everybody wants him fired. He's asked for Gundy to be fired, which was popular. Harbaugh to be fired. Uh, Brian Kelly, though, has definitely been his bullseye guy. I think it started in 2015. In 2016, Feinbaum said, I think Brian Kelly is resembling the Titanic, quite frankly, in South Bend. 2017, he said, quote, he's not capable of dealing in the real world. And the sooner I think Notre Dame moves him out and put somebody positive in somebody who can actually coach in big games, the better off that program will be. Uh, just last year, October, 2019 quote, he's good, not great. He's never going to win a national championship. The wise move for Notre Dame is to buy Brian Kelly out and bring in urban Meyer. Actually, that I'd probably agree with as far as if you could get Urban Meyer. Notre Dame is a national championship caliber program, but Brian Kelly is not a national championship caliber coach. So there you go. Uh, Feinbaum is basically with his college football uh, presence, but TV will be like, hey, can we get anybody to come on and say this guy should be fired? Because that'd be a good soundbite. Like, yeah, call Feinbaum. He'll, he'll say that guy should be fired. He always says everybody <laughs> should be fired all the time. And by the way, uh, right now, if you look at what Brian Kelly is doing, I think he's like in a 25 and uh, a 26 and two run right now and a top five team in the country. Yes, they got smashed in the playoff. Yes, they got smashed by Alabama in the national title game. People can get super mad about it, but don't get mad at teams that lose in the playoff when other teams are out here going six and six or seven and five and losing to the rival every single year. So the reason I, I bring this up is we already have two targets down. We know Bill O'Brien was out with Houston, but now Dan Quinn out with Atlanta. And let's face it, if you blow a lead, 28-3 lead in, in the Super Bowl, that's like going on a first date and I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Uh, It'd be like being on a first date and then being really good at karaoke, almost too good, where the girl would be like, I really like him, but he's super into it. He keeps doing show tunes and the sound of music. Like, I think he goes there a lot without people. I think he goes by himself. He was high-fiving guys afterwards. So, you know, she may like you, but there's just going to be this first impression. It's like, he, I think he's seriously into karaoke. I think he does like a big so solo karaoke deal on his off nights. All right. That's probably, I could probably could have come up with a worse analogy, but I'm trying to be nice about the whole thing. So he's out. And really that leads to what's next. Probably Adam Gase, although they said, uh, he said that they practice much better than they play. Awesome. Uh, Doug Marone, who apparently, you know, he's in his fourth season, technically his fifth as a head coach because he had a couple games there um, before he started full time. 10 and 6 AFC title game, 5 and 11, 6 and 10. Uh, I believe they've lost three straight times to winless teams, which I think might have been the first time in history. I'm not sure. Um, would he be fired? Well, he was almost, I thought, you know, there's a time there where people were legitimately like, he's already fired. I think he might have thought he was fired. So he's probably in that group. And then Matt Patricia, who is now 10 and 25 with the Detroit Lions. And Terry Bradshaw said, I believe this week, quote, he can't coach a lick. So uh, the Paul Feinbaum Award for firing everyone goes to Dan Quinn. Hut, hut. The Can We Get Joe Montagna Award. Do you know who Joe Montagna is, Kyle? Uh, sounds like I don't, because I think you're saying it different than Joe Montana. No, no, it isn't. I know who Joe, I'm pretty sure you know who Joe Montana is. Right, Joe Montana. Right. It seemed like it was I, a I don't know if it's Tanya or Tanya. Uh, he's an actor. He's like 70. I think it's Criminal Minds. And I think what happens is he's been in many, many films. Um, you, you go, hey, we got a new network show. Who can we get? We can get Joe Montana. Um, no way. I mean, I think he's been in Criminal Minds now for a really long time, so I'm certainly not dissing it. I did meet him once when Sports Nation used to, believe it or not, fly me from Connecticut for my sick takes and prop me up on the uh, L.A. set there with Carissa. I think basically Carissa would just talk to the producers and they would be like, all right, fine, let's 
fly Rosillo out for a couple of days. And I went on one of the weigh-ins kids made fun of me the whole time. My father called after the show. He goes, that show was terrible. I'm like, why? He's like, what are you just, <laughs> just make fun of you the whole show. Like, he's like, who is that guy? I'm like, he's a weigh-ins. He's, he's pretty famous. He's like, I don't know who he is. I'm like, well, I don't think you're the <laughs> demo. I don't beef. think you're the demo dad. I don't. Uh, he just didn't like that. I was basically the butt of the joke for an hour straight. Uh, I got to tell you, I didn't like it either. But Joe Montana, when we uh, saw each other on the set, I was like, hey, and he kind of gave me a look like, hey, do you want to talk to me? Because I'm Joe Montana. And I was like, yeah, you know, like, man, it's cool. Nice to meet you. Like, I don't know that we're going to have a ton to talk about. And I don't mean it. I think it's just him being used to everybody going, hey, it's that guy, that guy. The reason all right, this award exists, it goes to Philip Rivers. Because I think the Colts kind of looked at it like a, a sitcom that they wanted a reboot or a drama. Let's say a drama, a network drama where they go. And I'm sure Criminal Minds numbers are through the roof. All those shows do well. But it's like, can we get Philip Rivers? I don't know that you want Philip Rivers right now. I know the numbers have kind of been up and down. And I know he had a million picks last year. But everybody just blamed that on the Chargers. And hey, sundown, Philip Rivers running around for his life. But honestly, <laughs> I thought he was awful in that Cleveland game. I mean, just terrible, not seeing things. And maybe you're telling me that this is exactly what it was last year, but it feels a little bit like a franchise going, we can upgrade this. And by the way, Chris Ballard for the Colts is a terrific GM. So I would have loved to know what they really thought. Did they go, hey, this is the best chance with a minimal short-term financial investment, commitment, whatever, where we're upgrading the position a little bit and he's energized. He's finally somewhere else. It's a better group around him. I remember part of the argument was that Philip Rivers is going to be more accountable because the team will be better. And it isn't just him where he's been there for a decade and a half or whatever it is, is not working. The Byron Scott, no threes award that goes to the Seattle Seahawks. Amazing comeback win against the Vikings. It was all Vikings. We know the call Vikings fourth down fourth and short. Don't go for it. I want to be on the record saying, I'd rather go up a touchdown and then the eight to make them have to score a touchdown and a two-point conversion uh, because they're kind of tough to do back-to-back plays. But anyway, um, they didn't get the fourth down. Seahawks right down the field, even though they converted a big fourth down. But they were 0 for 7 on third down. So that's what I mean by the Byron Scott no threes award because they never converted on third down. Uh, Afterwards, Russell Wilson was asked about this and he said well you know look he goes one and then you got two and then you got three you got four he goes i love numbers i love to count i love them all in a row you know if you think about four you got the four quarters unc four corners you got the four horsemen um you know if you look at the bible it's you got four seasons you also got the earth air fire water deal um you know and the best part is after that's five and then six then seven was hungry so seven eight nine go hawks go hawks go hawks go hawks uh-huh The Lehman Brothers Award for Bad Investment goes to Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe I should just give it to San Francisco. I've been over this a million times, but when they wanted all of this credit for all the money they gave up to Garoppolo early on, be like, man, aren't we so smart? We gave him $48 million within a calendar year. Look how smart we are. Because then the cap goes down. Be like, no way. That's how it works. They're, in fact, not receipts. Um, I've just constantly been critical of it. And as I've said before, the most overrated asset in sports is the Pats backup quarterback. You can tell me he was hurt. Fine. I'll, I'll go with that. The picks were terrible, but as of right now, the amount of cash paid to Garoppolo is $85.75 million for 21 games, $85.75 million. He is pulling in over 4.1 million per game 
that he has played since he signed that new deal. And the last is just updating our Bill Belichick Tom Brady power rankings. I got to tell you, Belichick surging to the top spot this week off of last week because he took on the Chiefs without Cam Newton and put together an incredible, dare I say, blueprint that the Raiders used against the Chiefs. I don't know. I don't watch the All-22, but it sounds... People that watch the All-22 are fucking geniuses, though, huh? Like, man, All-22, that's the safety release. Totally different. You're like, okay. Um, Bill took on the Chiefs. He took on COVID. He took on the NFL, apparently, by just running his own program there in New England. And Brady yelled at people on the sideline, which is a no-no now as you get older. Uh, even if you have an incredible resume and incredible uh, leadership resume for 20 years, that's somehow not cool now because we've criticized other players with not even close to the same resume. And he may or may not have forgotten what it was on fourth down. He may have thought fourth mm. down was third down. We're not sure. They're gone. They've gone back. So look, it may be one and two in the power rankings, the official power rankings, but I'm just telling you, Tom, the gap has never been wide. Hey, let's do some life advice. But first, we're going to tell you about my new favorite bet concept this season. Been playing the same game parlays on FanDuel Sportsbook, and it's the most fun I've ever had betting. You know why? Because I can actually afford to lose uh, when I was younger. Wasn't the greatest. They're pretty simple. All you have to do is combine multiple bets from one game into a single parlay. This way, the payouts are even bigger when you win. What's cool, too, is FanDuel will refund the same game parlay. So the first time you do the same game parlay, you lose on any NFL game each week up to $10. That means you can bet a different parlay risk-free every NFL week all season long. So please, just do this podcast. Do me a favor. If you like me, download the FanDuel app. Throw down a $10 same game parlay. And if you lose doesn't cost you anything except for the only thing you're you're going to gain knowledge and that's worth more than 10 bucks that you get back anyway uh here's what i got for tonight uh monday nighter la chargers at the saints so my same game parlay for ten dollars to win 44 dollars and 67 cents look out chilies uh keenan allen anytime touchdown score and then the alternate spreads that are absurd. So I get the Chargers plus 31 and a half. And then I'll take the under on Justin Herbert's passing total because everybody will be betting the over 265 and a half yards. So I'll go any Keenan Allen touchdown. Feel like he'll always get one. Chargers plus 31 and a half. That one's free. And then Herbert under 265 yards. So there you go. Like my picks, go ahead and bet them. And with your first NFL single game parlay of the week, you'll get 10 bucks back if you don't win. If I don't win, I get that money back too. Now there's one catch. FanDuel is the only sportsbook app that has these same game parlays. So if you don't already have a FanDuel account, just use the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, R-Y-E-N. When you sign up so they know that I sent you, that's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code Ryan. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, or Iowa. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund $10. Terms apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. In Iowa, call one 800 bets off you want details bye i drive a ferrari 355 cabriolet what's up i have a ridiculous house in the south fork i have every toy you can possibly imagine and best of all kids i am 
liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. If you want any life advice, uh, and I, I do think we have a real professional joining us this week, just trying to coordinate the schedule. So it's lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Uh, our man checking in saying, hey, Ryan, Kyle, shout out to Kyle. How are you, Kyle? Doing great. Doing great. Are you lying? Thanks for are you asking. lying to me? No, no, I think. I think great seems high. Are you I mean, great? this far into the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm great for, for what I'm doing, I think. It's starting to get to you a little bit, buddy. It had gotten to me. Now it's just like, you know, talking to Bill, it's like, hey, I don't think we're going back to normal for forever. He was just like, should I box up all my uh, recording stuff? Because, I mean, we're not going to be in the same room for like a year. I was like, oh, all right. Well, then I guess I'm doing Bill's, great. Bill's a real doomsdayer. <laughs> he might be right, though. At least. Yeah, he's taking it serious. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I miss the office, dude. I miss it. I miss going in. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about working from home, but I don't I don't mind going up there. I'm always, you know, I, I like going to work at ESPN every day. Uh, my shower schedule's off. That was a big part wait, of my explain, day. Really. Explain like, the shower no, like, schedule. I'm showering every day. Hold on. You're showering every day now? That's right great. There. I'm showering every I always shower every day. God damn it. Listen, I shower every day, but it it's used to be wake news. up, shower in the morning. I'm fresh out of the shower by 730, and like my day's different. Now it's like I do it after the podcast. You haven't showered yeah. yet? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. I've been showering uh, more. I don't know what that means. Maybe I'll give that a try. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you about this. But the other day, uh, a couple couple hoodlums started fucking with me at the beach. And, um, (laughs) you know, I I set up a little further away from everybody else. So I get my reading in. I'm reading a pretty interesting book about the movie industry, the biz, as they call it out here, Hollywood. Uh, we're going to have that author on. We've connected. I just got to finish the book. And then this Teddy Roosevelt book, which I'm thinking about recapping for everybody. Teddy oh, Roosevelt's yeah. just a stud, just an absolute wow. stud of a guy. I mean, just this one guy apparently was going to kill him. He's like, I, and I don't know, forget the phrasing. I'll get the quote for us when I do the recap of it. But he's like, I heard you intend to shoot me. I'd like to know what your schedule is. <laughs> like shows up to the guy's <laughs> house. He got shot, right? And he did a speech. Is that am I remembering that? Um, let's let's I get thought he, I thought he that. took a bullet. I'm pretty sure he took a bullet and then gave a speech, but that could have been like a tall tale. I apologize for historians uh that may already know this, but this is just live in the moment. Um yeah, yeah, gave a spoke to plan was struck by an assassin's bullet while campaigning in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yeah crazy there you go i mean his 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 unbelievable it's going to take more than that to kill a bull moose um that's unbelievable was that was that the headline yeah i didn't yeah there's pictures of it that's good (laughs) stuff right there kyle maybe you should be doing the history stuff i did not uh remember that that's probably why there's so many movie scenes that have um like things in his breast pocket where it, it prevents the person from being killed god there's a shirt uh wow there's oh, the there's the shirt? actual bullet through the speech it was like a 50 page speech that was in his pocket so that's that's what saved him who does that who would even the toughest guy why would you be like no 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 fuck it let's give the speech whatever i don't know different time i guess yeah no it's it's uh yeah i, I could imagine that is a different time but good stuff out of you yeah my teddy roosevelt was very weak and uh it's become it's become stronger but it's still i'm in the early stages i mean he's just left the assembly uh, his his first wife died. 
So he's super depressed and he's just out there in uh, Lil Missouri, the Badlands. Um, he's, I think he's in, in the Dakotas, but then he just heads out to like Montana and stuff. And he's Roosevelt versus Washington. Who you got? Oh, well, Roosevelt was like the first power lifter and he boxed yeah, and he was constantly Roosevelt. challenging people to fights. But I have this feeling that I don't know what it is about old, olden times, but whatever pictures we see, people just look different. The women always like to be like, oh, she was a great beauty of the Indiana Plains. And you're like, was she? <laughs> Are you sure? I don't know. <laughs> I've been to Bloomington. Yeah. I don't know. I date her. Mm, I hang out. Uh, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> people just look different, but they were just smaller. They were smaller. So Washington, who, by the way, is not as tall as people make him out to be because this is idiotic how dumb this is. But they measured his skeleton with his his feet broken forward. So it wasn't from heel to skull. They measured it from his feet being bent forward in the skeleton to the skull. Oh. So whenever anybody talks about him being like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, it's just not true. The other thing about him supposedly being the father of our country because he was sleeping with so many women isn't true at all. He may have actually been sterile. He never had a child that we know of. So I, that was always weird because I'd always heard that joke as a little kid. Be like, oh, the father of our country, dude, dude is super active. Um, socially, and I think he was just a huge weirdo flirt. But he was a badass in the sense that he was bigger than everybody else, and his his raw strength was like I don't know what it must. It just had to have been weird. I mean, you know, try to imagine seventeen hundreds, and this guy comes in on a horse, and he's bigger than everybody, and he just kind of commands. I also think he was very like orchestrated in that when he walked into a room, Washington wanted to command the room and you want like you wanted to look at him with this thing where it just, it felt different with him. Roosevelt. I mean, Roosevelt as a kid is fucking annoying. Like he's just the most energetic hyperactive. He's constantly got all these sicknesses though, which is really crazy about some of these great people in American history. Like Washington was always dealing with something too. Babe Ruth, um, different not not quite as important as teddy roosevelt but maybe important in his own way <laughs> ruth was always sick had all these ailments he also probably took care of himself as poorly as anyone uh that's ever been famous but <laughs> yeah. well i mean other than guys <laughs> who just you know shooting up heroin and other eyeballs but um roosevelt was so small and sickly and his father was a pretty important guy i mean look as a roosevelt family so his father in the gazebo out back because i guess they had like a backyard in their their manhattan home he built the original like weightlifting stuff. Like they put together this thing and he would just go back out there and he would keep notes of it. But he also would go around and skin every animal alive and became like an amateur taxidermist, which is nuts. And he would have, he would have furs and pelts like baking in the sun to dry them out. And people would be like, why does this room stink? And he was keeping all these things around, <laughs> but he also was a genius in the sense that he read nonstop. Like he never stopped reading. And then he goes to Harvard and I think he weighed like 120 something when he was at Harvard, but then he joined the boxing club and however odd and weird he was, cause he had this weird New York accent, but then they say he picked up some of the Boston drawl because he was at Harvard. He just, his energy level is off the charts and I'm now only at like 20 something years old. So I can't wait for the assassination part. And I've read about him through the Rockefeller side of things and Chernow's Titan where, you know, Rockefeller hates Roosevelt with a raging passion because Roosevelt is like, I don't know that you should have a monopoly on oil and be worth more than like 100 countries. 
Uh, and then they introduced the first uh, income tax, which I think was at 6%. People lost their minds. So good stuff. Kyle, great assist on that one. I can't wait to get to 1912. Yep. Big day huh. for the RR Book yeah. Club. There you go. Okay. All right. Uh, well, that was a bit of a tangent. Okay. Uh, this is all right. Here we go. <laughs> I feel like we checked in on this email an hour ago. 30, live in Indiana, running a gym, working 50, 60 hours a week. So social life isn't there outside of visiting friends from college every so often. All my friends are either in serious relationships or getting married. And then there's me, the single one. Recently, I started talking to a girl I knew back in college. There seemed to be mutual interest, uh, interest back then, but never pulled the trigger. She lives in Georgia. And I asked, oh, she lives in Georgia. And she asked when I was going to come visit her. Do I take a couple of vacation days and close the gym to go visit and see if there's anything between us or just keep assuming it's uh, just friend zone and leave it at that? All right, dude, you're not getting friend zone. Figure this out. She asked you when you were going to come visit her. Is she's friend zoning you and asked her to come visit her a couple states over? That's, that's yeah, cruel. and she's the worst. So <laughs> it sounds like you're into her. You've been into her for a while and go to Georgia. Um, you should be psyched that your gym is open. You can't find one person that you trust to turn the key and sit behind the desk. <laughs> exactly. Come on. I mean, some gym guys never leave. So throw a guy 200 bucks, tell him to watch the gym for a couple of weeks or give him a free membership for a couple of months and go to Georgia and find a wife. Done. Solving problems here. Okay, we got somebody chiming in. I, I'm rarely ever going to use names, even if you guys don't say anything. Because, uh, By the way, and Kyle knows the deal here because Kyle showed me the email. But for those that remember the Long Island um love triangle where it was the guy basically saying hey i'm gonna be a home wrecker and move in with this woman because she's loaded and i don't you know i haven't been able to figure it out and never mentioned the kids the entire time or whether or not he cared about the woman in long island let's just say this that email has taken a dramatic twist it is not as bad as it seems and the email itself the motivation behind it and what it really meant may have been the most brilliant use of email in the history of email. I don't know if it's the Dr. Dre ex-wife $10,000 a month email, because that apparently, I don't know what you get with that. But I can't, get, I can't get more into it, but I'll just leave it at that. Ah, man, I wish I could do more. Kyle knows what's up. Is that fair to say that what happened with that email was... I think that's about as much as you could yeah, say. Yeah, I can't really say more than that, but... If you listen to that and you were as upset as I was, don't be as upset as I was. I'm less upset, but it is real in a way, but it was also perhaps motivated to, I don't know. It's just complicated. Real spy shit going on. All right. Uh, this is uh, a dude. Hey, this one says home gym lifting buddy. After listening to months of life advice, I think I may fit an, uh, in a, a niche for Rosillo's wisdom both arms with sleeves. Sweet. I uh, wonder if I'm actually big and talk about lifting fairly regularly. Numbers aren't huge, but I can't help but talk about how many times I rep 225. Uh, eight. All right. So eight reps of 225 at 160 pounds. Okay. So you're definitely not big. So we solved that. That uh, got that out of my system. Thanks. But that's a, that's, a, that's awesome, man. Good for you. Since the pandemic started, I converted my garage to a home gym and I love it. Hey, man home gymmer right over here getting parking tickets but i feel like that's cheaper than a gym membership right won't be going back to a regular gym ever the convenience and potential for solitude is too awesome the only problem is i'm having is with a pre-covid lifting partner who really just followed what i was doing and wanted to have a buddy to lift with so no harm there my challenge is i can't stand him 
and he's willing to work out at 5 a.m. when I normally get after it. I can't stand it because uh, if I am somewhere in the middle of the left politically and socially, he's deep to the right. Voted Trump in 16. He regularly expresses ignorant, racist, and otherwise ridiculous beliefs. Despite my consistent pushback, I am generally for dissent challenging one's beliefs, but this isn't that. I think it's the wrong thing to maintain a friendly relationship with this guy when he thinks three things. When he thinks these things, excuse me, and he's using my home gym while poisoning some hard-earned personal times I've worked on site throughout the pandemic, have a wife and a kid. Oh, my God. So this kid, this guy really wants to use your gym. What's the move here? I don't really want to put any rules on conversations to mitigate different beliefs for the sake of harmony. Really, uh, I'd like him to change because I'm not diametrically opposed to sharing the space when it is still sketchy to go to a regular gym. Uh, by the way, watching the Rockets sucks. Uh, totally agree. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, it's your house. It's your gym. You can blame the wife and kids. Just ask your wife to go like, hey, she doesn't want anybody coming over. The pandemic numbers, you know, whatever. Well, he probably thinks all the pandemic numbers are fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it sucks. You can't even use the pandemic as an excuse because he's uh, so far the other way. By the way, I've never, ever in my lifetime experienced more people breaking up because of political beliefs than right now. I'll tell you that. I mean, is the country the most divided it's ever been? I don't know. Social media would would have you believe so. Um, but you know, social media is, is so many times a, a bad predictor of things or not exactly what's going on out there. But, uh, I really, I, you know, look, if you're, if this is messing up your workout and at 5.00 AM, I mean, you know, it, it's not even about who he's for. I mean, if he's saying racist stuff then get him out, like cancel his gym membership, I, you know, and ask, maybe you could just say, Hey, my, my wife just doesn't want anybody over at that point. Cause that sucks. That sucks. Like he, I'm not even talking about the politics. I'm not just talking about the offensive stuff. It, it sucks to work out with somebody who you just don't want to work. Cause like, that's your time. I also don't understand how people work out with other people, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want anyone in my way. I'm going to do my thing. But then again, I've been by myself now for a decade plus. So I haven't had a roommate, I think since I was 23. <laughs> so me not having a lifting partner is probably not the most surprising thing anyone's ever heard. All right. Last one is I like this. I like this one. Okay, let's preface this by saying it's probably one of the biggest first world problems imaginable, but I'd love to hear your take. So here's the backstory. I'm 24, uh, living back and forth between Manhattan and Canada. Shout out. Run an online digital service business. I've always done pretty well with the business, but the past year it's taken off beyond my expectations and I'm personally now making low seven figures. Whoa. Whoa. 24 and a million bucks a year. Millions. It sounds like multi-millions each year here. A more of a long-term invest for the future guy, so I haven't spent any of it. I still take the train, drive a used car when I'm in Canada, and definitely don't buy anything to indicate my income. I would buy something for yourself, all right, man? Uh, but you know what? That frugal attitude may put you in this position at 24, so congrats again. I think my casual acquaintance social circle has done the mental math, though, seeing my office expand. So he's saying people close to him are figuring out. Office expand, living in two different cities. Look, if I had a buddy at 24 that was splitting up time between like Montreal and Manhattan and nice apartments, I'd be like, what's going on with Steve? Um, we'd figure it out. All right. Um, look, they figured out I've done well, which I don't have a fundamental problem with. The problem comes in here, though. I've had a bunch of people I either went to high school with or was just casually acquainted with start to message me saying we should hang out, quote, work together, et cetera, especially on the female side of things. I don't know where to peg it. I'm not bad looking, but I'm also not a Greek god. I don't think it's bad to find someone doing well, more attractive. Um, 
but I can't figure out who's, quote, using me for free dinners and concerts. Yet we still have those in Canada and who is genuine. Same goes for the male friends that are now all asking me for my take on their business ideas, business ideas and quotes again. Okay. I'm sure you've dealt with this to some extent being successful in your industry and would love to hear your thoughts on any advice you might have on these matters. Okay. I, I've been pitched on the business thing quite a bit, uh, but the good part was I was broke for so long that guys probably got it out of their system. So it wasn't like I was flush with money in my 20s. If I were flush with money in my 20s, I would have been hit up for more stuff. And since it didn't happen until a lot later in my life, um, you know, everybody's, it doesn't really happen to me all that much. And honestly, I, I kind of do stuff that takes care of my family. And, um, you know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big like, hey, oh, really? You want to do a music studio? I'd love to do that. Like, I have that out of my system. There's a couple of times <laughs> I've wanted to buy bars and it was probably because of girls. All right. So I'll just be honest. Now I realize they're rarely good investments. I don't want to be there all the time. But then again, when you're an owner in a bar and you're not there all the time, then everybody's stealing from you for the most part. And what you're doing is buying yourself a hangout. And now that's pretty much out of my system. So if I had had money that I have now at 30, I definitely would have done it. Probably not made a ton of money. Probably been out too much. Um, and it would have been cool to say, oh, let's go to my bar or whatever. Now I don't care. Now I don't, I don't care. Like whatever was important to me then is not important to me now. So on the business front, I don't really get pitched all that much. And I'm not saying I want to be, so don't. Okay. So that part, I think you're already smart enough to realize like, oh, all right, people are just going to hit me up. I mean, look, that's going to happen. People are just going to hit you up. I personally wouldn't want to lend money for a business. I've never, ever thought of asking people to borrow money, um, you know, be like, Hey, do you want to go into this thing? At one point I wanted to maybe flip houses in the South Bay area in LA and have that as like a thing that I do on my days off, go around, check on job sites, grew up doing that. I think I kind of get it, even though it's a different market, I don't understand all the costs and all that kind of stuff, but I want to put money together to kind of do that with some other people. And then I thought, you know, what? I just don't want to ask my rich friends for money for something that I can't guarantee their money is hundred percent safe. So I never did it. That's the closest I ever came. Let's get to the important part here. Do not feel guilty because all of a sudden girls that were not paying attention to you are paying attention to you now. That's kind of the whole point, man. I mean, look, so many guys that are successful are successful because they got dumped and they want to never be in that position again. I'll admit, I kind of liked pursuing my career. So I had something a little bit different to say than, well, I am a risk assessment guy or I supply electric brake, you know, electrical breakers and, you know, I don't install them, but you know, I, we're the biggest uh, supplier in the Midwest <laughs> of, of breaker circuits, you know, like, oh, you know, like imagine if you're on the other side. So here's the other part of it, the male female dynamic, who's wrong, who's worse, because I have seen knockouts with guys that look like extras from the Hobbit. And if that guy's got money, is she wrong? Because I've also seen men probably on their second wife or let's say girlfriend post first divorce where I remember when I was younger and I would go to like these ski resorts to hang out and I would see guys just tearing it up at the red lion and they all looked like wall street guys and they were on their second wives and the wives were stunning. And these guys were obviously players the way they were set up. Although there was one guy who I saw outside, like just, staggering with a dart and i was like "Ooh, that guy's not that night's not going great for him um sometimes it happens ski resorts you know <laughs> so anyway I, I don't i think we're both guilty and at the same time like i'm not going to say the men are right because we can be shallow and i'm not going to say women are right because they can be shallow about different things we're all 
we can all be very shallow about what is is something that we're in. Like, if you're attracted to somebody else, do you really care if you're the guy of what that person's doing? Uh, if you're a woman, are you more attracted because the guy has success and has power and that's the thing that you're more into than necessarily having sick abs and big arms at like, I don't know, say 45 years old. So, and still being fast. <laughs> so I wouldn't worry nice. about any, like get out of your own head. If now a different caliber of female is hitting you up because you are more, yes, that's why they are. And don't be embarrassed. Uh, be proud of it. Uh, seriously. Like, I, I, my guess is you haven't had a ton of options female-wise in the past because you're even hesitating on this. The answer is yes, that's why. That low seven figures, that's why they want to hang out with you more. Don't apologize for it. Wor you worked your ass off. You were successful early on. And there are rewards that come with that including people returning your calls that wouldn't return before. Those are the rules. That is a big part of life. And you just accept it. Or you could go back to being poor and no one like you. Do you like that idea better? Because nobody does. Do either of you want to invest in saving the darkroom? Is the darkroom closed? Closed? Yeah. Yeah. It's up for grabs. Now, there's a lot of places you could buy right now, but I, I'm not in a hurry to go buy somebody's terrible lease and still not know when it would be open again. So, um, I mean, sh well, for the other guy, yeah, I mean, hell, I just wanted my, a sandwich named after me in, in Burlington, you know, never mind a bar. I definitely wouldn't buy a bar now in, in Vermont when I live in Los Angeles. Cause that would be, that would be the, yeah, I don't want to be there all the time. Never being there would also <laughs> be an option that I, I, I wouldn't really like. So, okay. Uh, that was a long one, folks. A lot of good stuff. Chock full little history lesson. Uh, Bill and I will be doing another NBA pod this week off the Lakers win. And congrats to Kerry Champion is all I have to say. So please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.